Well, if you would now turn in your Bible over to the New Testament, to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, as we continue on in this pastoral epistle, uh, this letter as pastoral epistle, it is called because as we see the name Titus, it's written to a certain individual, that is Titus, uh, and not to a church in particular, but to a man uh, who Paul is giving pastoral advice to. We have First and Second Timothy, and then we have Titus. And again, uh, if you're using a pew Bible and like to follow along in your Bible, uh, this can be found on page 1,272. So again, Titus chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to be looking, uh, in particular, just at verses 4 and 5. But we're going to read, to give context, uh, the entire chapter. It's only 15 verses long. Uh, A lot easier to read than we just read in Nehemiah. So, uh, again, Titus chapter 2. Again, uh, let us read God's word. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is God's word for God's people. Well, let us pray, and then we'll get into this uh, word. Our Father, uh, I pray that the meditation of all our hearts, Lord, and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight. Uh, Would you bless this time in your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we uh, just read through Titus, and as I mentioned, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 4 and 5 this morning. And as you can see, we're going to be looking at what older women and younger women uh, really are to be about, what Paul 
uh, this apostle of God instructed Titus, this, this man of God, uh, to teach and what he was to do uh, there on the island of Crete. As I was getting ready for this sermon, uh, something had come into my mind that I've seen recently, uh, I guess over the last month or so, but about Disney and some news about Disney that I thought might fit this sermon uh, decently. And uh, it's that Disney has been facing some backlash. And Disney has been facing a lot of uh, loss of profit, but they've been facing some backlash uh, over a remake they've been doing of the beloved uh, story Snow White. And they're doing a remake. It's, I believe, already been filmed. But uh, the company has had to, to push the release date of the movie back at least a year. I saw, I believe it was 2025 now, that the movie is going to be released. And, and the news was saying that they've decided to do so because the backlash has been so severe that uh, they've already poured $300 million into the making of this movie, this remake, and the backlash has been so strong that they said that it would hurt uh, the profits that they would make and also the chances that they have to do any spinoffs uh, from this new version of Snow White. Now, the, the complaints and things that have come about the movie have been to changes, various and vast changes that have been made to Snow White, and they've been made in order to make it more current and, quote, less problematic. Uh, problems for Disney have begun early in the filming process, so this has been going on for months, uh, as the actress who, who is playing Snow White and who's portraying Snow White has herself repeatedly criticized the original Disney release of Snow White. And she's openly stated that the original story was weird, and that it didn't fit with today's gender norms. Uh, she's referred to the prince in the Snow White story as a stalker, and said that the reality, I'm quoting her now, the reality is that the cartoon was made 85 years ago. It's extremely dated when it comes to the idea of women being in the roles of power. Now again, we're talking about Snow White. Uh, she goes on to talk about her character, Snow White, and she states about, again, Snow White, she's not going to be saved by the prince, and she's not going to be dreaming of true love. She's dreaming about becoming the leader she knows she can be. And again, I just remind us, we're talking about Snow White, uh, this beloved Disney princess movie. Uh, but again, she's not going to be looking for love or this man to come and save her. She's dreaming about the leader that she knows she can be. Of course, this is, this is just a small snapshot of our culture's continued push to make the, the normalized, traditional gender roles that can be found in an old tale. Again, Snow White goes back to the early 1800s in Germany. Uh, but the, the kind of gender roles in, in, in a fable with a, a princess and a prince and love between the two and the, the knight in shining armor and all those kind of things... Uh, they're outdated. Perhaps at best they're outdated, and you might be more likely in, in some circles to hear that if you uh, were to make a movie like this today, that it's intolerant or oppressive or even sexist uh, to make a, a, a movie where the princess or the, the uh, protagonist, the female one, is brought back to life, I guess, because he kisses her. Uh, she's sleeping. So... Um, 
It's not Sleeping Beauty, though. Snow White is still sleeping, though. I get him mixed up, but you know the story better than I do. So anyway, well, I don't need to tell you, I don't think I need to tell you all that uh, this is where Hollywood is at. And again, Hollywood basically owns, uh, or Disney and part of Hollywood basically owns all entertainment in our world today and has a massive influence on us and especially on our children. And this is uh, the kind of thing that they are taught and that they are led uh, in here. So I don't think I need to tell you that is where our culture is, but uh, unfortunately this is where a lot of our church is as well, or at least there are certain people uh, in the, the broader church that are working tirelessly to advance things by showing that these gender roles and things that we have held to uh, are outdated. And it's time uh, that we have a look at them and get things right. And again, uh, we're going to be looking at verses here that are written by the Apostle Paul or were written nearly 2,000 years ago, but they're as true for us today as they were 2,000 years ago. And again, this is God's Word, our Creator, who has written these down for our instruction. So again, uh, we're going to look at here in Titus today what it is that older women, uh, we're going to finish with what older women are to be doing. And there's kind of a, a, a bridge here into younger women. And when we say younger women here, we're talking uh, particularly about young wives and young mothers uh, but it certainly has application for those of those of y'all who are younger and, Lord willing, maybe one day will be a wife and a mother as well. And again, what the apostle uh, tells them that they are to be about and what the older women are to be teaching the younger women. Now again, Paul was very concerned with how the church was behaving in Crete, how their lives uh, adorned the gospel is how Paul will put it. Of course, you can't make the gospel better, but we all know, and the Bible states the fact that our behavior really can uh, bring disrepute upon our profession of faith. Um, In Sunday school this morning with the youth, we were talking about forgiveness and the Lord's Prayer, and uh, that fact that the Bible teaches that Christians must forgive. Uh, We must forgive, and we must forgive in particular because it shows that we understand and that we have received forgiveness from God. And our forgiveness, even if it is, uh, even if somebody has really wronged us, and of course people do wrong us, and we do wrong people as well. It's not to downplay the hurt that somebody might feel or even continue to feel, but it's the desire to forgive because we realize uh, that we have been forgiven more by our Father who has forgiven us. So therefore, we're willing and desirous even to forgive this person, remembering again that we have been reconciled solely by the grace of God through his forgiveness in Christ. So, uh, in, again, in uh, Crete, where it was well-known or infamous for its, its lax morals and, and pagans that live there, um, uh, Paul is letting them know that he wants them to not behave as they had. Again, The believers here in Crete, by and large, were Gentiles, and these were people who were coming from straight Zeus worship and everything else, and everything that was entailed in that, and if you think wild and everything else, that is exactly what was going on there, and these are people who have come to Christ and are not really knowing how they are to live, and Paul is exhorting them to know the gospel, 
to know about the forgiveness we have in Christ, but to know that believers are to live in a certain way. And first he talks about elders and the need for elders in the church, and he gets to older men, but then he moves on to uh, older women. And again, as I said just a minute ago, our portion of scripture today deals with older women and bridges into younger women. And next week, Lord willing, uh, Matt will go through younger men, uh, and then we'll move on to uh, slaves or bond servants and other people as well. But again, we're going to be looking at women in particular uh, today. Now, this part of scripture, Titus 2, is sometimes known just for this fact that it talks about women teaching women. In fact, uh, at our church in Arizona that we used to be at, uh, there was a women's ministry that I believe was called the Titus 2 ministry, something like that. And it's just, you know, it's part of scripture that, you know, Hebrews 11, that's about the, the hall of faith, basically. It's, it's all these examples of faithful people have gone before us. Well, Titus 2, that's, that's that chapter in the Bible that talks about women teaching women. And indeed it does. And again, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning uh, so that we can see exactly what it is that Paul is talking about. So again, our passage has to do with that, and we're going to see through that what the focus and aim uh, we who are older, and particularly older women, uh, mothers, grandmothers, moms, wives, uh, are to be teaching those who are younger and coming up about how to be a wife, how to be a mother, and things that, believe it or not, don't just come intuitively uh, to us, and the benefit that can be reaped Uh, from those who have more experience teaching those who are younger in how to do these. And again, not as Hollywood or the world now teaches that we are to do these things, but as the Bible does. So we're going to look at just two things. And the first thing we're going to look at is the priorities of a wife and or a mother. So again, the priorities of a wife and or a mother in verse 4. And again, verse 4 Uh, Starting in verse 3, after talking about that older women were to be reverent and continuing in verse 3, not slanderers or slaves to much wine, uh, he gets into the reason why in verse 3, they are to teach what is good. And then verse 4 for our passage today, after teaching what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So older women are to uh, train, teach younger women how to be a godly wife and how to be a godly mother, specifically in loving their husband and loving their children. Again, we might think it's odd uh, that somebody would have to be taught how to love, uh, how to love their children, Uh, but as Matt often quotes uh, Vody Balcom, and and I will uh, happily do so as well, and for all of you who hear that name all the time and wondering who we're talking about, go and look him up. He's a a great uh, teacher. Um, he is uh, especially great on teaching on the family. Uh, but again, uh, I, I uh, unashamedly uh, rest on him for several insights that he has here. But he brings up the fact that love uh, needs to be taught because the world uh, in Paul's age and in Titus's age uh, had a different understanding of what love was than what the Bible teaches it is. And of course, that is absolutely true in our day as well. Uh, our common understanding of what love is usually does not line up with what the Bible says that love is. Sometimes it will overlap, but uh, love in the Bible is not all about just the feelings that you get immediately when you see somebody who's attractive and you fall in love. 
but that was basically how love was looked at uh, in Crete at this time that Paul wrote this. Uh, again, love in our culture usually has to do with attraction or desire to someone or a fondness uh, for someone and wanting to be with them and, and how they make you feel and even unbridled desire or emotion, which was very common uh, in Crete in this time. And uh, again, this understanding is, is very common in our world, but as I said earlier, unfortunately, uh, this is very common in the church as well, that we think that love oftentimes is, I would say, reduced down uh, just to these feelings of love, puppy love, uh, as is sometimes said, maybe not really said anymore, but is written from times of old. But when people fall in love, and then they fall out of love just as quickly as they did, and of course, the Bible doesn't reduce it to just that. Uh, love is more than just that. These feelings that we can have. Uh, in the Bible, uh, love can be and often is commanded uh, that we love one another, that we love the brethren, that husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church. And again, he's not just saying just all of a sudden have these overwhelming emotions and desire to do these things. Love can be commanded in the Bible, and, and love is multifaceted. Um, sometimes you'll hear that there are different words in Greek that are used in the Bible for love, and there are. There are four different words that are used in the New Testament for love, and sometimes I've heard people say that these are four different types of love. I don't think that's correct. I think he's talking about the concept of love, and these are four different facets. Uh, I have my phone up here right now because I have a tendency to go long, and I'm trying to make sure I don't. But again, I can talk about the screen. I can talk about the back. I can talk about... Different, I'm talking about my phone, but I'm talking about it from four different aspects of the same thing. So it's not like you have eros love over there, you have agape over here, and so forth. It's love, but different aspects of love uh, that we're talking about here uh, in the Bible. Now, this love that we're looking at here, that the young women are to be taught uh, and to do, to train the young women, again in verse 4, to love their husbands and children, uh, it's more or less a re resolute determination, a desire and, and determination to work for what is ultimately best and glorifying to God for her family and her husband. It's wanting what is best for somebody as as the Bible states what is best, and that is truly what is best. Uh, that somebody know Christ, that somebody know God. That's what Jesus prayed and said is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That we want people to know God, and we want them to grow in their relationship with God. And again, I'd say that a lot of problems that we have in our society today is changing the definition of what certain things are. Uh, we make it a lot easier when we make love something akin to just uh, tolerance or never telling somebody that something they do is wrong, just uh, permitting things to happen. You know, I love so-and-so, so I'm going to let them go and destroy themselves, more or less. Or uh, we're going to be loving, you know, uh, you go by signs. We don't, I don't see them here in Dillon as much, but when we go up to Charlotte and see our friends, right when we turn on uh, the cul-de-sac that our friends live in, of course, we have one of those signs in one of their neighbor's yards that says, 
in this house, we believe love is love and water is life and some other things. Science is real and some of those other things. But love is love, which means nothing at all. We believe that love is love. It's a way of saying, don't you dare tell me that what I say is love is not love. Um, but again, it's put there just as love is love. It's whatever you want it to be. And in reality, in Scripture, God uh, does not just say love is love. But he also does not just say that whatever we think is love uh, and whatever we feel is love is love. Women are to be about loving their husband and their family. Uh, but Paul doesn't just stop there. He's going to go on in a minute to talk about what that looks like, to spell out uh, what that looks like. Uh, before we move on to our second point, I just wanted to say that uh, you probably are aware of this, but nearly half, uh, depending on which research uh, organization you go with, but nearly half or 50% of all marriages in the United States now end in divorce. Half. Uh, of marriages end in divorce. So again, you go to a couple weddings, uh, the odds are that about half of those are not going to uh, continue on. They will end at some point in divorce. And if we have our young women uh, learn from the practice of the culture, and again, unfortunately, sometimes in the church, uh, we'll be teaching them that uh, this, this wrong understanding what love is, that People get married because they're in love, and after a few years, you know, that wears off. And again, the thrill is gone, and uh, you're there with your spouse and both the husband and the wife, and maybe there hasn't been infidelity or anything where you could have actual grounds for, or there hasn't been abandonment or abuse or something, but uh, maybe they just agree together that, that we just want to get, we're, we're not in love, we, we both want to go our own ways, and uh, just go our own ways, that's fine, and, and our children, our younger ones will see this and think, you know, that is fine, and maybe love is just it comes and goes. That's not the Bible. That's our culture now, and that has only been legal even uh, in our culture for about 50 years, but uh, again, we need to teach especially our younger ones according to what the Bible says and not what our culture teaches it either explicitly or implicitly through what they do. So, Women, young women, are to be taught and trained how to love their husbands and their children. And then we get to, okay, what in the world then uh, does that look like? Uh, it's not obvious, but if we look in verse 5, we see some things. These are not disconnected from what Paul just said. He doesn't say, young women, love your husbands and wives. Now, completely separate from husbands and children. Now, completely separated from that, I want you to do these other things as well. No, these are ways in which one can love their husband and love their children. So this, these are what he says to do, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home. We'll get to that. Kind. And the big one, the main reason why Matt went down and decided to go to Honduras this week, submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may be reviled. You'll notice Matt, again, oftentimes is gone when we have these big controversial ones. This time he actually had to leave the country uh, to make sure he was gone. But uh, again, we will uh, go through these. And I, I made sure, I talked with my wife to, to get a female perspective on some of these things as well. And uh, oftentimes a misunderstanding uh, of what these things actually mean. But we're going to go through these. So... First, he says that women are to be 
self-controlled, or older women uh, are to teach younger women to be self-controlled. And that was, self-control was not something that was uh, practiced often in Crete, and it's not something that was even sought after or seen as a, a positive attribute for somebody or a virtue. Uh, Paul, in, in chapter 1, if you flip over, uh, Paul quotes one of the, the Cretan poets. Uh, if you see in, in verse 12, when he's talking about uh, there in Crete, and he says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, and he's quoting him, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. The main thing is to see what Paul, he's quoting the, their poet there, and he, right after them, verse 13, says, this testimony is true. Uh, Paul was saying, yeah, you know what, for the most part, that's true. Cretans are bad. Uh, and then he tells them to, to rebuke them and, and teach them uh, because they lived in a godless area of the world at that time. And uh, although we may not be where Crete is, we're, we're getting closer and closer uh, all the time. So again, self-control is what he wants the Christians to be, the young women And again, self-control is something that he's already said the elders are to be. And as he moves on to young men after this, the only thing he actually gives for the young men is they need to learn to be self-controlled. Because again, young men uh, can really struggle with that. But here, self-control. And the idea behind self-control is really not being enslaved to anything other than God. It's to not be enslaved to anything. You know, Christians can use the things of this world. We are free to, but we need to take care that they don't end up using us, that we don't become enslaved to the things of this world. And if you've been here on Wednesdays, Pastor Matt has talked about this, that we have the ability now as regenerate Christians by God's Spirit to say no. A Christian can say no to sin, and a Christian is to be self-controlled. Uh, and we are to enjoy and uh, not be enslaved to things like food. I can speak for myself. It's easy to get enslaved to that. Uh, we are to use it and thank God, but not become slaves to it. Uh, drink. Again, entertainment. Need I say, our phones. Uh, things that we use. Sports. I love football. A lot of y'all know that. I love high school football. I can't believe I've gotten to that point, but I have. I'm glad to. I'm done with NFL and college. And, uh, but, and I try to encourage the guys as much as I can and everything else. But football can become an idol. Football is not the most important thing in the world. And it very much can become an idol. And we need to have self-control and everything uh, be in its proper place. You know, Paul talked about this uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians with a church that was very big into how much they could do, and if they were mature, you could do basically whatever you wanted because they knew that these things really meant nothing, and they're talking about uh, really a wrong use of Christian liberty. And Paul quotes what they would say, and they would say, all things are lawful for me. And uh, Paul quotes them and says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated or enslaved by anything. Again, the idea is that we use the things of the world and even use them and give praise to God for them. You know, when you eat a good meal or you watch something that's edifying and entertaining or listen to good music, well, praise God. It doesn't say stay away from that. No, praise God. But 
we all know that we have certain things in life that we tend to get more and more and more absolved, and it starts to draw us in, and it, it stops being something that we utilize and something that we kind of need now to, to get by. And that's what Paul is saying, do not, I do not want you, uh, the young women either, to be like that. And again, by God's spirit, we do not need to be that way. Secondly, the young women are to be pure. Again, in verse 5, he says that they're to be pure. Now, the idea is not just, I do want to stress, it's not just, it does include this, but it's not just abstaining from sexual immorality. Of course, he's talking here primarily to women that are married and have uh, husbands and even have children. Uh, But again, going back to what we've been doing on Wednesday night and the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, it's not just our outward behavior, but it's our inner person, who we really are. Uh, being pure even in your marriage and even with your husband. You know, sometimes uh, with our youth, but it's with us adults as well, sometimes purity is thought of as, as, and I remember even asking this question, but even thinking this, like, well, how far, and you can think of any particular sin you want to, but how far can you basically go before it becomes sin and so forth? And if we're thinking that way, uh, you know, how far can I go before I cross that line? Uh, I would say that whole line of thinking is wrong. Uh, and that's where we get into legalistic certain little things like, well, you know, how you know, do I need to wear a denim jumper? And that's what we're saying here for the girls. That's what modesty means. People ask about clothing sometimes. And, uh, you know, the Bible does not say that. Or, you know, can women, is the, the biggest problem in the world now that women started wearing pants a while ago and we need to go back to just dresses and skirts. Uh, Does the Bible teach that? Well, no, it does not explicitly teach that. What the Bible does explicitly teach is that women need to be modest. So do men. But women need to be modest in their dress. And then women, uh, by the Bible, and men can look. There's there's room within those boundaries of modesty. Uh, You can wear a skirt, a denim jumper. You can wear a burqa or whatever you want and not be modest. Uh, again, it's do you really want to be modest and not just how far can I get away with this uh, until it's sin? Again, seek in your life to be pleasing to God and seek after him, and then anything that gets in the way of that, push that out of the way. That's the way we should look at things, not just I need to stay away from this and that, even though, again, those things can be helpful. But again, being pure, uh, seeking to be pure uh, in our conduct for God. Uh, Third, getting to working at home. Uh, Literally, it's being busy at the home. Busy at the home. Now, again, the idea here, or I guess I will just say right off the bat, is not so much that young women cannot do any work that is outside the home. Uh, In Paul's day, the women would be at home primarily. There would be some women that work in the marketplace uh, selling things, but primarily women worked at home in Paul's, in this day, and uh, there were a number of people and uh, issue going on uh, where people were at home, but where they weren't working, uh, where they weren't busy uh, working with their children, raising their children, and doing other things. In fact, there were some women who had slaves and others that would do those kind of things, and they had all day to basically do whatever, they, to basically do nothing. And that is what led to serious problems. Uh, is that they would go about and they would cause problems because they weren't busy at their home. Uh, Actually, in 1 Timothy again, Paul, same person writing this, 1 Timothy 5, 
uh, Paul talking about women who don't have things to do at home, uh, kind of like some of our kids during summertime or whatever, if they're not, uh, have anything to do. Uh, but again, he's talking here about women who had, been, uh, who had been widowed or young women who had not been married, and he talks about them when they don't have anything to do. He's in 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 13, Paul says that they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So, I'd, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. So the problem here, and the, the point here that Paul is making, is not so much the home, the home, never leave the home, uh, which sometimes this passage is taught this way. It's more that people... And in, right here in particular, and this could go for anybody, but here it's talking about the younger women, uh, that they are actually busy in what they are doing uh, and that they are busy and not, instead uh, that they're not just going about, flitting about from uh, thing to thing and, and stirring up trouble. That is the issue that Paul is dealing with. Now, in saying that, I do want to quote somebody who is definitely not some strong, patriarchal, uh, just misogynist man. Uh, he's a, a well-known writer, Christian writer, Kent Hughes. Uh, he's been a pastor in the Chicago area in Wheaton, actually, Illinois, near Wheaton College, uh, for a very long time. Uh, but he says this about women and younger women, that their focus should be on their family. And uh, I think that he's absolutely correct here. Uh, but uh, this is what he says. He says, the apostle, excuse me, the apostle without question ranks a wife's obligations to care for her husband and children over her personal benefit or fulfillment. Any woman who makes career status or financial advantage a higher priority in her life than the welfare of her marriage, children, or home transgresses scripture as well as the signals of a heart sensitive to God's spirit. So again, uh, like I just said a minute ago about modesty or what women are to wear, uh, there is general principles that are given where women then are and to see what is modest. Uh, and there's actually some room for some disagreement, but, and there's room for freedom in that area within modesty. Well, here as well, that women are first to have their priority to be on their family and on their children. Now, does that mean that women cannot work outside the home. Uh, I believe reading Proverbs 31 and other things, no, it does not mean that. Uh, but it does not mean that the home is not important, of course. It does mean that that must be uh, foremost when looking at how uh, we are to have our priorities. Is first and foremost, again, uh, her household, meaning her husband and her children. So uh, we move on then to kind that the younger women are to taught to be kind. Again, kindness is pretty simple. Kindness is the basic attribute and desire that we actually care about other people and that we show that in our actions. It's, it's simple. It's not hard to understand. It's something like is common in life and in the Bible. It's not complicated, but it's very hard to do. And that we ask God that we actually care about people and that we treat them as such. As uh, Jonathan Cruz was here last week, and he brought up Augustine, St. Augustine, and uh, the early church father, and that his mother, I'm sorry, that he, before he was converted, brought up 
uh, Ambrose, another early church father, uh, pastor, and before he was even converted, he brought up how much of an impact he had on him, and Augustine said because he was kind to him. Uh, he wasn't too good for him. He was kind to him, and that really affected Augustine, somebody who was kind to him. So he wants them uh, to be, he wants women to be taught and younger women to be taught uh, to be kind. And then lastly, and again, the whole reason why Matt's not here today, but women are taught in verse 5 to be submissive to their own husbands. So plainly put, women are not to lead their household. Uh, They are not to be the one who is in front leading the household. Now, this is not culturally, uh, this is not just a cultural norm in those days, which we've gotten rid of, and Paul was just playing to the culture there. Uh, when Paul and the Bible speak of gender roles uh, in the Bible, they go back to creation itself. They go back to Adam and Eve, and not to the current situation that they lived in. If we remember, God created Eve as a helpmate, as a helper to Adam. And it's important to remember that. Adam, I'm sorry, uh, it's brought up in the Bible that Eve was created to help Adam. Now, she and women are not less than a man. When I was talking to my wife yesterday and some misunderstandings about submission and other things, I must state some of these things about men and women. The Bible teaches that men and women, of course, are different, uh, but men and women, men are not more valuable than women are. Men are not more created in God's image than women are. Uh, Women are just as valuable as men are. And women are just as much uh, created in God's image, and as Peter says, they're heirs of the grace of life as men are. However, and this must be stated uh, for our current day, women are not men, and men are not women. Uh, Men and women are different. And of course, as you get older and as you get married and if you have siblings, you realize, uh, I'm not just talking about anatomically here, not just physically, but even the way that God has wired us. And again, the submission is not due to the fact, well, this is not a fact, that men are superior to women. Men are not superior to women. But again, it must be stated today in our world, women also are not superior inherently to men. Uh, We are equal in our standing before God, but we're not the same. And God has created the male to lead the household and the female, the wife, to submit and support and help the husband in doing so. Now, this is not just saying that the husband gets the final say, uh, although that can be one practical outworking of this. Uh, But in a sense, it's also to say that the husband... Uh, gets the first say as well. And what I mean by that is that the husband is to be directing the family. He is to be, this is our family, this is what we want to do, following the Lord in this direction, and that the wife is to love and support her husband and respect him and even submit to what he says there. Uh, Before I propose to my wife, my biggest question I had for her, well, first of all, I want to make sure that uh, she was a Christian. We went to church for years, but still getting to know each other. But then the biggest question that I had, and I still remember being at a park in Tempe, Arizona, I was going to say Phoenix, and asking her and saying, because I could feel the Lord 
since I was converted, calling me to ministry. I said, look, I don't know if God is calling me to be a missionary. I don't think he is as an overseas missionary or anything, but I need to know that if he does call me to something like that, that not that you're just waiting to do that and you can't, you know, adventure and everything abounds and awaits, but that you will be okay with whatever he calls us to do because I do believe that God is calling me to something and not saying again that, that you are just itching to do this, but are you willing if that does happen uh, to do that? And again, this was a make it or break. If she said no, then I would not have proposed. Uh, but I did go uh, down to Tucson to talk to her dad shortly afterwards uh, because her, her attitude was yes. And, she, and again, we were lived out west and we live in Dillon, South Carolina now. I used to be asked all the time, how in the world did you get to Dillon from Southern California and Arizona? Uh, and I'm very happy to be here. But again, we didn't know where we were going. And, um, but that is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about that the husband has the first say. I'm not talking about this domineering, the wife is not worthy of uh, respect, or the man is just this king, and he sits on his chair, and the wife does everything. That is not what I'm talking about. And I know that this passage has been abused and misused in the past, and unfortunately, that is a reality. Um, but we don't take things in the Bible because they can be abused and misused. And then to say, well, the Bible doesn't teach that. And let's go down the Snow White route now. It's all about, you know, levels of power and, and you know, things that come from Marxism. Um, it is where a wife is to support her husband. That also does not mean that a wife can never disagree with her husband. Uh, the, the husband is infallible. Um, it certainly doesn't mean that. I've certainly been wrong, and all of us husbands in here have been wrong before. Uh, but it does mean with Adam and Eve, that Adam was the one who was to be leading, and Eve was the one who was to be complimenting him. Again, some people don't like the term complimentary, but it is a biblical idea that men and women, particularly in marriage, are to complement one another, that God has created us, that women ordinarily are strong where men are weak, and vice versa as well. So again, that the wife uh, be submissive to her husband uh, in the family. Now, again, I know that's not a popular uh, thing today, but I will say this. If God has taught us to do these things and he tells us to do these things, where you are going to find joy, where you are going to find happiness, where you're going to find freedom, even empowerment, uh, whether you're a male, female, husband, uh, wife, or single, you're going to find all those things in walking in God's ways, in what he has for you, not going and making your own way and what the world and your sinful flesh tells you will make you happy. Now, again, just very quickly, I know there are a lot of women in here who work outside the house. My wife works outside the house for the public school district. This is not saying that women cannot work outside the home. We have people, my doctor here and everything, and uh, people who do great things outside the home. It is saying if that gets to the point where it's my career, my career, my career, and your family is whittling away at home, that could even be for the husband as well, too. The family comes over. The husband is the—anyway. Uh, the family needs to be first, and then in the light of that, we go and live. And does, can that mean working outside the home? Absolutely it can. But it can also become a problem. So we need to be aware of that. So, lastly, the reason why, and this is very short, I promise you, 
But is that the gospel not become, uh, not come into disrepute, he says in verse, at the end of verse 5, that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh, we can have a big witness to our community. We can have a big witness to our world by living lives that are different, by showing younger women that they don't need to go and do what Hollywood tells them, that they don't need to go, unfortunately, as our culture goes now, and be seen just as sort of an object, and that's how they're going to get an affection of a man or of a, a guy, but show them that they can flourish and love the fact that God created them as a woman to glorify him. God chose that for all you women here today. God chose for us men, obviously we didn't choose it, to be men. He chose our parents when we'd be born. He also chose to be men. He chose for you women, who your parents were, when you'd be born, where you'd be born, but also that you'd be a woman. It's not an accident, and you're to glorify God as he purposely chose you to glorify him in that estate, and to do so ordinarily in marriage with children as well. But again, it might be so that we would not bring shame upon God's word. So my prayer is that by the grace of God, we'd grow more and more as biblical families, as loving husbands, as loving wives, and teaching our children that they do not need to go the Snow White Disney route. They can uh, still be one who loves their husband. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's much right about it. So uh, that is uh, what, by God's grace, we will do. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, help us um, to be molded by your word, to have our minds transformed by the renewing uh, grace of your word, Lord, uh, that we not be conformed to this world, but transformed, again, by your word, that we might know what your will is, and that there is freedom in homemaking. It's a huge, uh, glorious thing to have mothers who love their children, who love their husbands. Uh, Lord, it's a glorious thing, of course, when husbands are being true husbands who lead their wives and protect them and guard them and love them, Lord. Uh, but would you help us to not be shaped by this culture, but by your word? Uh, again, we thank you for your word, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.